Canadian businesses love to talk about adapting to the modern world. But what does that really mean? For companies like CIBC, modern means leading with a relationship-oriented focus. It means listening to people, investing in people, and creating change that impacts everyone, not just the bottom line. Today, I'm joined by CIBC's CEO, Victor Dodek. Technology has vastly changed the world of banking, but Victor will share why relationship management has actually been the bank's key to building success as well as a better future. After this episode, you'll walk away with tangible ideas on how you can empower your frontline staff, as well as simple yet highly effective steps to improving relationships with all your stakeholders. Enjoy. So, Victor, welcome to Contributors. Nice to be here, Russell. In preparation for meeting with you today, uh, I did a little research and I found that you and I have a couple of things in common. So, first, we're both from uh, Toronto and we're both from kind of up and coming neighborhoods in Toronto. And I think you got some interesting stories on that. But there's also something that we have in common that I was really surprised by, which is we are both huge Disney World aficionados. Yes, we uh, are indeed. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I know now that I know you are, I can tell you a lot about <laughs> it. I'm very excited about that. We've been uh, Disney Vacation Club members as a family since 2007. Amazing. We've gone every year other than through COVID, and we're planning on going next month uh, with our kids who are now between the ages of 19 to 25, and they still want to go. And they still, they still want to do the rides. They still want to do the water park. They still just want to enjoy the Disney culture. So, uh, it's, you know, as a kid who never went to Disney, it was all on TV for me. Yeah. It's a, it's a very special experience and certainly a company that focuses on, uh, bringing those experiences to life. So I always tell people, I, I get a lot of flack for this, for going to Disney every year. And people say, why don't you go somewhere else? Right? Like, isn't that just for kids? And I always say, you know, there is something about Disney that, that is inspiring. There's also something about it that I think there's a lesson in there for, for business. Do you take any business lessons from the Disney experience? Oh, it's a, it's a business that's absolutely focused on their clients, uh, their customers, their, their Disney aficionados by making the experience special, by keeping the parks clean, by making sure that everybody in their cast, everybody from those who sweep the streets to those who perform on stage have a sense of purpose as to what Disney is all about. And that I think, uh, epitomizes who they are and that epitomizes what great companies do. Absolutely. Well, well said. I would say one of the things that my wife and I so appreciate is what we call the, the Disney bubble is the idea that once you're there in Disney world, you're safe, you're taken care of, and you know, you're going to have an amazing experience. And I, Absolutely. I, I feel like that's something we should all strive towards in our businesses is creating a, a similar bubble for our customers. Russell, what's your favorite ride? That's a great question. Uh, Tower of Terror. Yours? Uh, Tower of Terror. Uh, it's between that and Space Mountain. Let's talk a little bit about your career journey, specifically your career journey at CIBC. Where did that start? Well, let me uh, kind of frame it for you. Um, I've bookended my life at CIBC. I started as a, a customer service representative, or as commonly known, teller, but we like to say CSR, customer service rep, because they're focused on serving our clients. Uh, back in 1985, it was my first office job when I was at the University of Toronto. I applied at a branch, uh, neighborhood branch in Mississauga, where I kind of grew up my, my teen years, and I uh, was offered the opportunity to work Thursday nights, Friday nights, and Saturdays. And then uh, in 2005, I, I came back to our bank, 
uh, as head of wealth management, and I've been captaining the team since 2014, September 2014. So it's a bit of a bookended career, if you will. Uh, very pleased to have first experienced banking at the very front end and now uh, leading a great team uh, into the future. Starting as uh, a CSR, does that change your perspective? Do you think you have a different perspective as a leader because you started at the bank on the front lines? Our frontline uh, team members are incredibly important to our bank. It's where you engage with clients. And I know technology has changed banking, but to this day, um, the majority of our clients still visit a banking center or their relationship manager. So being a CSR allowed me to see that up front. It taught me not only about transactions, but how to uh, greet people, how to meet people, and how to understand what they're dealing with in life, which is uh, all part of the banking experience. And I always like to share a story of a gentleman who came in every week, he owned his business, and every week he cut himself a check. He had a tool and die business. It would be a $450 check. And every week he would sit, we'd exchange niceties. And every week he would deposit $400 and he'd save $50 cash. And I'd fill out this deposit slip every week yeah. for three years. <laughs> 30 years later, I became CEO of the bank. 28 years later, I saw him at an event. He looked at me and he said, $400 deposit. And I said, $50 cash. And that, to me, <laughs> what banking is all about. It happens in our banking centers. It happens across the wickets, and it happens with large transactions when we're advising on M&A. It's the whole spectrum of it, and everybody in between that helps make that happen. Yeah, it's about the relationships. It is. For those that don't bank with CIBC who are listening today, what makes CIBC different than the other big four Canadian banks? I'd say there are a few things. One is uh, I think we have a very special purpose-focused culture where we get up out of bed every day and we know that our purpose in life is to make our clients' ambitions real. And that's understood throughout the entire company. It's not about processing a transaction. It's not about making a loan or a deposit, but it's about making our clients' ambitions a reality, bringing them to life. And I think that is a big, big deal. The second aspect of what we do is relationships collaboratively across the entire bank. I always say banking is a team sport. We can only work collaboratively to serve our clients. And lots of times, most of the time, our clients need more than just one individual on the team to help them make their needs, uh, develop, uh, deliver on their needs. So that whole notion of a team sport is incredibly important. And the third is uh, the importance of technology, not to displace relationships, but to complement them, to let clients do certain things on their own, to make their modern day banking experience more relevant, but also to strengthen relationships. And that's where technology plays an important role. I say those are the three defining characteristics of who we are. Can we talk a little bit about the pandemic? How, how did the pandemic impact CIBC both internally and externally? Well, we've been through uh, two pandemics in the last 100 years. And, uh, you know, if you look at our history books, a there's a photo, uh, photo in our archives from our banking center in Calgary where everyone has their masks on, including over their noses. They weren't socially distanced at the time for the photo versus today. So we've been through this before. Uh, but then, as, of, as, as today, it's tested all of us. It's tested our culture of purpose. Are we truly making our clients' ambitions become a reality, irrespective of the context that we're dealing in? It tested our team members. For those uh, working at home, it was a real test because they had an extra level of complexity in their lives to deal with the personal aspect of their life, meeting the business aspect of their life in their home, to those, and I always remind everybody that we had 18,000 of our 45,000 strong team working in our banking centers 
in our vaults and in our operation centers who weren't at home and they had equally challenging and sometimes more challenging conditions with plexiglass, with client anxieties, with the virus kind of front and center. So it certainly tested all of us as a team and individually. It tested our clients, businesses, individuals. And you know it, that all manifested itself in what we were able to do for them as they felt this anxiety of an economy globally shutting down. No one's experienced a global shutdown. What do I do about my credit? What do I do about my mortgage? What do I do about payroll for my employees? And we really leaned in in terms of deferring credit, advancing more credit, uh, providing the government programs, whether they be um, the Canadian government programs for business or the U.S. government programs, and making sure that businesses can continue to function. So there's a lot of client anxiety there as well that we dealt with. And certainly uh, technology and the role it played, and I think everybody got a greater appreciation not only for mobile banking and the digital aspects of what can be done from home, but moving 27,000 of us to work remotely and getting everybody the equipment to do so, whether it's to process transactions or to take some of the 125 million calls we process every year. That was a real challenge. But as I said at the beginning, Russell, what really shone through for me as a captain of the team was that our purpose, the reason for being, our raison d'etre really stood the test of time during the pandemic. And we've come out stronger as a bank, both culturally and financially. So one of the things that I think is unique about where banks are situated within the Canadian economy is, you know, like, like any business leader, I imagine you're, you're going through the pandemic, you're thinking about your people, you're thinking about wanting to keep the business going, but wanting to keep your, your people safe, support them as they go through, you know, not just workplace challenges, but personal challenges. And yet you have this additional responsibility, which is if you can't function as a bank, Canadian business can't function. Was that on your mind? The responsibilities that you have sort of outside the bank itself, but to keep the Canadian economy functioning? Very much so. Uh, the Canadian banking sector is a, an important lifeblood of the Canadian economy. It is known globally as one of the most resilient uh, and best run banking centers. And we take our role within that uh, lifeblood within that ec uh, economic ecosystem very, very seriously. I always tell everyone that banking is not about processing a transaction. Banking is not about uh, making a loan or making a deposit. Banking is all about understanding what your clients need, good times and bad, and helping them realize those ambitions. And therefore, the role that we play is an incredibly important one. And as with all crises, what happens in banking uh, in Canada is you have the Bank of Canada, the finance uh, minister, and uh, their team come together with the banking system and our regulator to make sure that the system is functioning well. That happened during the great financial crisis of 08 and 09. It happened again during the pandemic, and that is another defining characteristic. The whole ecosystem is contingent on all of us working together to make it work, particularly during difficult times. And then as times get more normal, it goes back to normal competition, if you will. We're always competing, but there is a collaborative element in a crisis that I think is a defining characteristic of the Canadian banking sector. And we take our role within that very seriously. Looking beyond the pandemic, what are some of the trends that, that you're thinking about for CIBC? Well, look, uh, there's a couple of things that I'd say uh, matter a lot uh, going forward, right? One is collaboration is going to be really, really important as we go beyond the pandemic and continuing to strengthen our team 
from everyone that's hiring the best talent to developing the best technology to serving our clients. That's going to be really, really important. I think integrity and trust is going to be really important. Clients did go through some very anxious and intense times and not losing sight of the fact that integrity and trust is kind of the lifeblood of what we do as a bank. I'd say the third thing after the pandemic is continuing to invest in technologies to simplify our client experiences, to simplify the experiences for our employees, to make uh, life more mobile, if you will. You don't necessarily always need to come into a banking center. We'll come to you equipped with the technology to deliver for you. And I think that notion of flexibility is going to be really important in the post-pandemic world. Now, I know you're passionate about ESG. Can you tell us a little bit about how CIBC approaches ESG? Sure. Well, there's the there's the E and there's the S and there's the G, right? And uh, too often we just focus on one of those. But ESG is a lens through which investors and all our stakeholders look through uh, in today's day and age. The environment and how we're dealing with climate change, social aspects of how you run a company and governance aspects of how you run a company. And E and S and G are becoming incredibly important because investors are using it as a lens through which to consider which companies to invest in. And in that regard, we want to be a leader and recognized as a responsible organization. When it comes to the environment, you know, we want to, as a Canadian domicile bank that operates around the world, recognize that climate change is happening. We know that the energy portfolio of Canada is the most robust in the world, and we need to work with all aspects of it to deliver going forward. That includes signing the Net Zero Banking Alliance, which we're a signatory to, where that includes introducing targets, as we will over the course of this year. On the S side, Russell, uh, it's about the culture of inclusiveness. It's about making sure that uh, all aspects of the economy that we serve and all people in the economy we serve feel like they've got an opportunity through banking with us. And that is really, really important, whether it's the black community through our Black Entrepreneurship Loan Fund, newcomers to Canada, the Indigenous community, and other stakeholders in our community. And then uh, the G. G is governance. Um, It used to be about just the board, and I'm proud of our board. We've got an amazing board. It's uh, chaired by a Uh, Kate Stevenson, a a wonderful executive, a woman. Uh, We have a 50-50 breakdown in our board in terms of men and women. We've got representation of skills, representation of global geographies, and they play an important role. But governance is also about how the digital world is reshaping uh, banking and how data plays a role, how privacy plays a role, making sure we have a leadership role in that as well. I understand that one of your big areas of focus as a leader has been modernizing CIBC. Can you tell us a little bit about what modern means to you? Sure. Well, I always say let's not lose sight of the fact that uh, our bank serves clients. So never lose sight of that, uh, irrespective of whether you're looking at the way things were done or the way things will do, uh, be done in the future. Modern means understanding your clients and understanding how their needs are changing, because if you can do that well, uh, you typically get your strategy right and you get your execution right and you continue to maintain your competitive market position and, and, and strengthen it, uh, ideally. Modernizing means uh, understanding what our team members want in terms of uh, you know, listening to the younger members of our team, listening to how social media and how the digital economy is influencing banking and their overall lives, 
and how we have to change as a result of that. Modernizing means uh, making sure you have good cyber defenses because as more data is out there and everything becomes more digital, everything uh, is in the ether. So it's our responsibility to make sure that it's protected. Modernizing means taking financial planning, which used to be you know, pen and paper, to a digital format and a living document that continues to get updated more easily uh, with our clients and with our advisors because it's in digital format. So modern to me is about understanding how relationships evolve, understanding yeah. how our employees are evolving in terms of their own needs, and understanding um, you know, um, how to deliver that uh, for our clients when, in terms of technology. And keeping an eye out for non-bank competitors. According to Victor, modernizing means understanding your stakeholders and how their needs change. He also talked about the importance of evolving processes and systems for stakeholders to make things easier. I love this. At the Cap Pension Plan, we consider ourselves a modern defined benefit plan. And what Victor says resonates so much with what we're doing. At Cat, modern means making pensions easier to access while also innovating to ensure that both employers and employees' needs are met. Victor's belief is that there should always be a place for the human component in every transaction. Let's hear more about his thoughts on approaching relationships in a modern way, including his advice for others looking to evolve their organization. I love the idea of approaching relationships in a modern way. So continuing to prioritize that relationship, but but kind of approaching it in a way that unlocks the potential of new technology. I have to admit to you, I was not a CIBC customer and I became a CIBC customer in the last year. And uh, my experience is really interesting in that I was looking to buy a new home I was looking for kind of a referral and I was referred to a mortgage advisor. Mortgage, mobile mortgage advisor. Okay, good. With CIBC. And his name's Kishore and he is uh, in Mississauga, actually, uh, as you were. And I just loved the way he approached it. So he was available to be on text message and and he was really about the relationship. So, you know, he was saying, send me photos of the house. He stayed in touch, so he wants you know wants to see the renos that we're doing, and the the relationship that I had with Kishore was dramatically different than the relationship that I had with, you know, the people at the previous bank that I was with. And, yes, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> just even that simple thing that you know communicating to me via text message—that's not a thing that all banks would do, and it really it's a simple thing that had a, a pro- profound impact on the way that I saw and see CIBC. Excellent. Well, you know, Kishore uh, epitomizes who we are. Uh, you didn't tell me you were, gonna, you were a client of our bank. I didn't look into that before our talk, but I'm incredibly pleased to hear that story. You know, our mobile mortgage advisors, our mobile investment consultants are a big part of our evolving strategic narrative. You know, clients want to deal with their bank on their terms at their place of business through their medium. Banking is about understanding the role of financing in your life, the role of investments in your life, and having that context is incredibly important. So I really appreciate you sharing that story. So going back to modern, what what are the obstacles? As you're looking at bringing a modern perspective to CIBC, 
what are the obstacles that you've encountered and, and how do you overcome them? Well, there's always the evolution of uh, an organization's culture and understanding, you know, helping everyone understand the journey that we're on, right? Because it's one thing to just say we're going to do this and expect everyone to do it. But what I, I try and do is I try and do three things. And I know our, our leadership team tries to do this all the time. One is help everybody envision the future. You know, to mo- modernize and to let everybody know where you're going, they, under, they need to understand what I call the big E, envision. Envision what the future would look like and what we need to do to compete both with our incumbent competitors who are pretty intensely competitive Then the second thing is inspiring everybody. I call it the big I. Inspiring everybody to understand their role within that so that they're not simply observers in all of this. Because too often in a larger organization, you can make the speech, tell them where you're going. And then the third thing is just driving to action. It's one thing to paint the big picture. It's one thing to have the inspiration. But then there's the big D. How do you drive everybody to action? What kind of metrics do you put in place? How do you make sure that we can achieve those metrics as a team together in the interests of our clients and in our shareholders? And I think if we do those three things really, really well, you start to shift everybody in the direction of where you want to take the organization. And that's where we're heading. We're heading to continue to build a modern relationship-based bank and one that's a leader in the marketplace. So taking this outside of CIBC and and outside of of Canadian banking and thinking about Canada, what does Canada need to do to become more modern? What does Canada need to do as a country to prosper in the modern world? Well, uh, Canada is the greatest country in the world. I mean, I you know it's it's kind of cliche to say when you live in the country, but I think Canada is one of the greatest countries in the world. I'm proud to be a Canadian. My parents came here. My dad arrived as a refugee, and I've taken great pride of everything that Canada has been able to give me. And I always think about you know, what I can give back to Canada. So like an organization, countries also need to look to the future. And uh, Canada does one thing super well, and that is uh, the immigration policy that we have brings the best and the brightest to our country. It's points-based, it's merit-based, it also there's, there's room for those who, who don't have the skills but want to contribute to the economy. And we leave the G7 in terms of immigration uh, per capita in the world. And immigration is the lifeblood of GDP growth. Now, what we need to think about as we bring in more new Canadians and aspiring new Canadians is how do we make sure that the housing supply issue is uh, resolved? Because one of the big problems are we're going to have so much immigration, the housing stock's not going to keep up, and it's going to create tensions in the system of how house prices keep going up, and there's not enough rental stock. So that's going to be an important part of it. And the second thing, human capital, that human capital of immigration is important, but also what do we do? What do how do we ensure that Canadians who are here can compete well into the future? How do we make sure that we're investing in their education? How do we make sure that they know that education is a lifelong experience? You need to get reskilled as the economy changes. You know, how do we make sure, for example, the RESP, which is something that people think about for their kids, is yeah. an account that can maybe be used for your entire life? Why do you have to wind it down? Why can't you at the age of 40, 50, and 60 go back to school? With the benefit of the RESP program. That's one aspect of what Canada needs to do all, human capital. The second aspect is financial capital. You know, we are competing on the global stage for capital in our country, and we need more long-term foreign direct investment in our country. We need to make sure that it goes into our naturally endowed industries as they modernize, 
but also to build new industries so that we can see a robust uh, current account surplus, a robust capital account surplus over time. And then the third thing I think we need to just pay particular attention to is social capital, social cohesion, making sure that, you know, as the economy grows, uh, there is a benefit to everyone. And I think what I tell everyone, it's about growth. It's not about dividing the pie. It's about growing the pie and then making sure it's well apportioned to everybody and everyone has a, an opportunity to participate in that economy. And that whole notion of social capital is really important. So the three pillars of capital that I often refer to, human capital, financial capital, social capital, done right, will continue to make our country stronger into the future. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. I think one of the things that's come up on this show again and again is the enormous contribution that immigrants to Canada have made to not just our economy, but Canada as an innovator. And I think one of the things that 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 has come to mind for me just in hearing you talk is is this idea of we have the the point system and we have an opportunity to bring in immigrants who have the skills that we need. But I think far too often we have situations where, you know, uh, an electrical engineer is driving an Uber or right. one of my best friends is from Iran. His mom in Iran was a really well-regarded doctor, was never able to practice here because there right. was just obstacle after obstacle. Yeah, the, there are these uh, barriers that do exist. You can call them trade barriers, skill barriers that need to be removed. Yeah, people need to go into the Canadian system. And my wife's uh, you know, from, uh, from Boston. She was a lawyer. She had to take her credits here. And uh, that was okay because now she can practice. But I think a fast track to that and recognizing that when they come to Canada, they come to Canada with a great deal of skill that can't be checked at the border. It's got to be built upon as they come in and settle here and recognizing that some of those skills are very, very valuable to us. So there's got to be some fast track programs to bring them into the system and make them feel like viable contributors to our economy. Let's talk a little bit more about CIBC's people. So we talked a little bit about my experience with your people, which has been fantastic. How do you create that culture? How do you create that people-centered culture? Well, a uh, big part of it is uh, sort of the helping everyone understand what our purpose is, and that's our real social fabric as a bank, and never taking it for granted, bringing it to life. Um, I'll often uh, exchange stories uh, with our team members uh, on our internal postings of great client experiences, or if something really Someone's done a great job serving a client, and the client writes back to me. I always, always, always make it a point to get back to the client, our client, and our team member to help them recognize that what they did reinforces the culture that we're building. The second thing is that people need to feel like they play a role. You know, they they they're inspired to stand up and deliver against the purpose of our bank, and you know that goes. From everything in terms of how we train them and how, how skilled they feel in delivering against that, so make sure we're investing in that, to our inclusive culture. I chair the uh, Inclusion and Diversity Leadership Council. I meet with our leadership team. I meet with our 15 people networks at least annually and certainly more than annually to hear them out, to understand what's on their mind, to understand some of the ideas that they have that can strengthen the inclusivity within our bank. Uh, and it's not, for me, a social experiment. For me, it's about how do you develop great competitive advantage by harnessing the full capability of all your people 
And that's really, really important as we build the bank of the future. So that whole notion of culture and communication, the whole notion of inclusiveness. And then I think the third thing is uh, leadership. Leadership matters. Things don't happen by default. That is what is uh, our special sauce, if you will, is our leaders engaging with our team to make sure we deliver against our purpose. That leads perfectly into the next question I was going to ask you, which is actually about your secret sauce. So this is really a question that we ask on behalf of our listeners. As, as we interview business leaders, one of the big uh, kind of curiosities is how does this person do what they do so successfully? So in your case, what I have read, what I've heard about you is that your secret sauce is that you have come to the bank, you've brought a lot of prosperity, you've brought new ideas, you've brought new energy, you know, you've come with big ambitious goals, but you're still really approachable. You're still a leader that employees, you know, uh, I hear that there are lineups to take selfies with you at events. Um, Pre-COVID, (laughs) pre-COVID. So so how do you do that, right? Like, I think somebody like you, Harvard MBA, could be very intimidating to employees, but you're not. Instead, you're this approachable leader that they can really relate to. How have you managed to walk that line? Well, I've never taken for granted the role I play and where I came from. And I always uh, know that my successes in time were a function of people taking a keen interest in who I was and helping me become a better person, whether it was my mother or my father or my brother to, you know, the people that I, I got introduced to uh, later on in life. And there, I'd say there's, you count them on two hands, the people that had a fundamental influence on me, but they cared, they genuinely cared. And uh, my job as a leader, and I don't think of it as a, as a job so much as the kind of the role that I play is to make sure that people know I genuinely and authentically care about them. I care about what they think. I don't always agree with their ideas. doesn't mean that we're all like group think like, but to make sure that they know that they're appreciated, to make sure that there's a thank you there when something well is done. You know, in the end, leadership is all about, um, you know, having power to give it away and to make sure that the next generation is there to be, to learn from it. I always tell this story. My mom had a number of different jobs. She worked at the Minion stores. She worked initially cleaning houses in Canada. And uh, there was one gentleman who was chairman of a hospital that she cleaned a house for. And he took an interest in me as a kid uh, during the summertime because she didn't have a babysitter. And he'd show me things. He'd show me how hospitals operate. He'd show me how communities operate. And I'll remember that to the, for the rest of my life. Early, early on, uh, I, I learned from someone who took an interest. I can imagine that that role of a mentor in your life has impacted the way that you approach mentorship. Absolutely. And, you know, part of it is, you know, I'm only one person, right? In in an organization that's 45,000 strong, what's what's really important is that everybody understands the importance of mentorship. Because, you know, when I make the mentorship talk about, like, here's why it's important, too often everyone say, can you be my mentor? I was like, I can't. can't." (laughs) Everybody. But look, there are there. You look for your mentors. You can kind of create those relationships over time. Someone shows an interest in you, and what you can contribute. And I always tell everyone: when someone shows that interest, make sure you pay it forward to the person that you show interest in, because that'll happen in your life too. I always think it's funny when when you have somebody who, who says, you know, I want the CEO to be my mentor, because so many times there are you know sixteen steps between you and the CEO. Wouldn't you want to learn how to take, you know, the first, second or third step before you get right. to- <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. How can our listeners learn more about CIBC? Well, make sure you befriend one of our team members or someone in their close circle to understand our bank, and they'll uh, share with you what we do. Uh, there's some things that they can share with you in terms of our own internal communications and some of the things that we focus on, like wellness and fitness and uh, your well-being. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that will show you a dimension of our company. The second thing I'd say to everyone is we are open to building those relationships with you. So if you have a financial puzzle to be solved or an ambition to be realized or a dream to come to life, uh, come knocking on our door. And our team, uh, regardless of where they are in our organization, is going to make sure that we have the best and brightest looking to solve that problem for you or, more importantly, create that opportunity for you. And, uh, you know, there's obviously ways you can learn more about us online. But I'd say, uh, for me, try and get to know someone who lives, eats, and breathes our culture each and every day. Is there anything I didn't ask you today that you wanted to talk about? You covered the spectrum, Russell. I, I, I'm, I'm impressed. From Disney to Canada <laughs> to life to banking, I think we covered it all, right? So I'm impressed. Today was another great episode emphasizing that organizations need to look beyond their bottom line. If you're looking to evolve into more of a modernized, relationship-oriented organization, Victor has shared some really helpful takeaways. First, start with your people. Establish meaningful relationships with your employees by listening and understanding their needs. CIBC's listening tours are an interesting example of how to achieve this. Second, understand your competitors. And more so, understand upcoming disruptors to your industry and build a vision around what you need to do to overcome or overpower those disruptors and bring your team along with you. Everyone needs to know the vision. Finally, drive your team to action. Victor made it really clear that inspiring your people is crucial, but you also need to map out a definitive plan and remove obstacles. The CIBC Make It Right program is a great example of this as it harnesses technology to empower every employee to help improve the bank's customer experience. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. By the way, I wanted to give a heads up to our listeners about our upcoming Cat Pension Plan annual webinar. It's an opportunity for you to join me in hearing from some of our key leaders at Cat in an engaging panel discussion. If you're interested in learning more about transforming your workplace, a lifetime retirement income offering, you should tune in. Save the date on May 5th and visit powerofplus.ca to register. Thank you and hope to see you again on April 20th for our next episode.